coming up next on Contemplate. Now, if a person needs to be independent and self-sufficient in order to be a person that has the right to live, no one would be a person until they were like 20. As Pastor David continues to teach about dualisms, he'll also tell us the truth about immorality, abortion, and more. Important things we all need to know, so let's dive in. Here's Pastor David. Why have Christians been persecuted? Why did the Romans burn these Christians and throw them to the lions and so on? Because Rome was fact-value dualism. I mean, if you really look at it, Believe whatever you want. Worship any God you want. Just don't mess with the way the state does business, which was evil. And don't mess with anybody else's religion. Just do the coexist thing, right? And I'm all for coexisting, by the way. You should not use violence or harshness or anything but love to engage with your neighbors, whether they believe something different than you or not, okay? So I'm all for coexisting, but that's not the kind of coexisting the Romans were looking for. They were looking for the kind of coexisting that never came up against their power. And Christians weren't like that because they believed that what they believed was true regardless of what anybody else believed and that the other things that people believed were wrong and there was such a thing as right and wrong and the state had obligations just like everyone else to God. Did not work out well. That's why we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King tomorrow. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and you can contemplate from what you've learned today that the reason that the state and the institutions of racism fought against him is because he was destructive to fact-value dualism. Because his ideas were Christian ideas. He is the reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was a fighter who said that all men really were created equal. Not, I have this private idea inside my mind that all men were created equal, but you do you. I'll just go over here and stay out of your way because you need to be able to do you and I need to be able to do me. No, no. All men really were created equal is what he said. And that the state had an obligation before a real God that there was a power above the state that said what ought to happen. And he stood strong and he fought for that and went to jail and eventually was murdered because he came up against those who want that fact value, dualism. He wouldn't have it. He wouldn't have it. Because he said they were really wrong and he was really right and righteously so. He was really right. They were really wrong. These are really objective truths. And when you destroy, when you're destructive to the fact-value dualism, it will always cause conflict. Always. Always. Because the whole point of fact-value dualism is to not have conflict. I get to say what's really, really true, and then what's just true in your mind. And as long as we're all good with that, we're going to get along just fine. As soon as you break out of that, you're going to have a problem. Right? But we reject that. We reject fact-value dualism. We refuse to pretend like morality and God and the other things which are the most important things to human lives in this universe are just simply subjective ideas rolling around in the minds of certain people. They're just meaningless and personal. They don't mean anything. Other people may want us to believe that, 
It's not going to happen. This really goes into the next dualism, which is the secular state dualism. Secular state dualism. Secular state dualism is the dualism that says that the things of God, things of truth, things about morality and justice and whatever really don't belong in the public square, but particularly the things of God and particularly the things of Jesus don't belong in the public square. You can believe all you want in God and morality. Just do that at home. Okay? Do it at home. Don't do it in the public square. Don't go out and try to tell other people that those things are true. Hold it for yourself. See how it, how it piggybacks off fact-value dualism, secular state dualism. And there's really two aspects to secular state. The one is keep it at home and keep it yourself. The other is one that Christians buy into, makes us feel like we can only worship God if we're sitting here in this building singing a song. That's another way that sec- sacred, secular, secular, sacred dualism affects us. That worship of God and all these things are really things that happen inside a church, and that's the only place they happen. But that's not true. It's true that we can have a great time worshiping God here in this building. It's great. And singing songs is one way to worship God. But we can worship God through our work, whatever our vocation, whatever our calling is. We should be worshiping God through our work. And it does not have to be that you're a missionary. We have some families who are missionary about to go to the Philippines. That's awesome. That's great. But they're not the only ones who can worship God through their work. All of you can in whatever you're doing. We can worship God through our hobbies. We can worship God through watching a movie. We can worship God by sitting quietly with our children or our spouse, and everything that we do, we ought to be worshiping God. But if we have this sacred, sacred, secular dichotomy, it's kind of we pigeonhole our lives, right? We kind of get sideways on that. We think we can do God stuff here at church, maybe some of it at home in a certain way, but certainly not at work, right? Certainly not when we're out with the guys. They don't want to hear about that. Or the girls, Right? We keep our understanding of morality in our houses and in our church. And then, of course, we won't engage the world, which keeps Satan pretty happy. Many people hide behind secular, sacred dualism. Believers. They don't speak or fight. They don't love others fully. Because, listen, if you want to love other people fully, you have to, in love, not as a jerk, but in love, speak the truth to them, whatever that is. Whatever that is, you've got to speak the truth to them in love. You can't do that if you believe that you're not allowed to speak outside of your home or outside of this building. When I was in law school and I went to a Christian law school, that is not an oxymoron. There really is such a thing. It's a Christian law school. I remember I, I had a class and we had some attorneys from town come in. And they were telling us that, you know, just talking through about, they were Christians. They, were, they, they identified themselves as Christ followers, as Christians. They came into the class, were Christian lawyers. Okay, great. Let's, it's good. I'm going to be one of those. Let's talk about it. And they started talking about their job, and they started talking about things like when they would help, when they take on clients to help uh, a young woman get an abortion, go to court to help a young woman get an abortion. And I don't remember if it was me or somebody else. It was probably me who said, how do you reconcile that with your faith? How do you reconcile going and, may, and clearing the path for someone to get an abortion? You're, they, they said some of these cases, they're just things they did not agree with. How do you reconcile that with your faith? And their response was basically sacred secular dualism, just straight up. That's work. What are you talking about? 
At home and at my church, I do these things. That's at, that's at work. In other words, I can do whatever I want at work because that's in the secular sphere and the sacred doesn't touch it. I can pigeonhole my life over here and not over here. I remember thinking, oh, that's not going to be me because if that's how it is, I'm out of here right now. Plus, it's really hard and I'd like to leave. No, it was really hard. But that was the mindset. That's work. Yeah, I, I, at church, I'll get up and give a sermon about how I believe that abortion is killing a baby. But at work, I'll go help them kill the baby. Because that's church, and this is work. And I know we're all like, oh my gosh, that's so bad. And yet, how many of us do it? How many of us don't take God with us to work? Because, of course, that's work. We're not in our house, we're not in the church I'm not saying bring your guitar in and lead everybody in worship <laughs> at work. I mean, if you have that skill set, make it happen, right? You do you. But I'm saying you can worship God in everything that you do. And you can make those decisions the right way. We can worship God powerfully through whatever is going on in our lives. Okay. The last dualism is mind-body dualism. I'm going to try to walk through this as quick as I can. This dualism says that the mind and the body are totally separate. They are not a united whole. They're not part of a united whole. This is the dualism. Listen carefully. This is the dualism that is allowed for all kinds of sexual immorality and other kinds of sin. And murder and genocide and slavery and a bunch of other things like that. It's the most responsible. This dualism is the most responsible for those things. That drives those actions. If we believe that the mind is the real self and the body is just a bunch of cells, we can make ourselves believe all kinds of things about the value of any particular human being based on what we want to define as personhood. The fact is that these ideas have consequences, real consequences. These dualisms cause Real sin and real pain and real suffering to real people. They're not just ideas that we talk about. These aren't just philosophies that we sit around and discuss for fun. They're ideas that drive our actions and the actions of our neighbors. And they're ideas that end up in death and destruction. So what if abortion ends a life? Mary Elizabeth Williams titled her article in Salon Magazine. So what if abortion lends a life? This is what she says. I believe that life starts at conception. Throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. When we try to act like a pregnancy doesn't involve human life, we wind up drawing stupid semantic lines in the sand, dancing around the issue, trying to decide if there's a single magic moment when a fetus becomes a person. She goes on to describe her thoughts about personhood. And you need to, you need to understand the mind-body dualism that exists here. Mind is the real person. We decide when mind is good enough, right? When mind is enough, when there's enough of it, when it's good enough, and when it actually turns person from just a body into a person. So this is what she says about personhood of a baby that's in her mother. A fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides, okay? Not having the same rights because it's not a full person is what she's saying. Human life, but not a full person. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the 
non-autonomous entity inside of her, always. What is, why is the mother a person and the baby is not a person? In, in the mind of Mary Elizabeth Williams, it's because the mother's autonomous. That's what makes her a self. Mind, body, dualism. She's a mind. She's a self. Baby's just a body at this point, and the way she makes the distinction is because the baby is not autonomous. Now, I just grabbed, I was on Microsoft Word, and I just clicked on the thing and put synonyms, right? From the thesaurus, it's right there. Synonyms for the word autonomous. Here's a couple words that came up. Independent, self-sufficient. Now, if a person needs to be independent and self-sufficient in order to be a person that has the right to live, no one would be a person until they were like 20. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, my, my son is still in the basement on Reddit, eating my food. Not independent or self-sufficient. Right? So honestly, though, if that's what it takes, if autonomy which is independence and self-sufficiency, is what it takes to be a person, to be a self, to be a mind and not just a body, then we're not just talking about babies in the womb, are we? You ever met an independent, self-sufficient infant? No. They're dumb, man. Have you seen them? You've seen babies, right? <laughs> Pretend like that's rude or something. They're, they are. They don't talk or anything. Anyway, they're beautiful and wonderful, obviously. But they're not self-sufficient or independent, this is what mind-body dualism leads to, is these kinds of ideas. And she ends the article with these words, a little chilling. The fetus is indeed a life, a life worth sacrificing. We should sacrifice these babies if that's what the mother wants, because the mother is more independent and self-sufficient than her baby. They're not even arguing anymore. They're not even arguing anymore with the fact that these are babies. Just so you know, for those of you who grew up in the 80s, moral majority, going on the marches and all that kind of stuff, and it was like, it's a fetus, it's a baby, it's, you know, a clump of cells. No, it's a real human. That argument's over. Just so you know, there are basically no scientists who, who maintain the old fetus is not a baby talk. That's over. That's been over for a long time. They don't want to tell you that it's over because they like that. Why? Because when they had that, they were talking about science, and they thought we were talking about religion. Fact, value, right? Guess what's happened? Whoop! Now believers, and those even unbelievers who understand morality, are the ones talking about facts. Because the science is now on the side that says, conception, spark, life. And the scientists all agree with that. And on the other side, what are they talking about? Values. It's totally switched. Autonomy. Self versus body. These are all up in the sphere of values in the fact-value dichotomy. We have literally gone from them saying, look, we don't want your religious stuff in here. You're talking about values. We're talking about scientific facts. We don't know if it's a baby or not. It's just a clump of cells. And then when they were wrong and science said that's not the case, they totally switched. They moved the goalposts. They switched the whole thing around. And now they're talking about values while we're talking about scientific facts. You think that they might be trying to protect something regardless of whether it makes sense? Because I know none of us ever justify anything, right? We know exactly what it's like because we do it too. But it's clearly what they're doing. 
they're not arguing about scientific facts anymore. They're just arguing that somebody's not a person unless fill in the blank. In the case of Mary Elizabeth Williams, it's autonomy. In the case of some other people, it's, there's all these little things that they have, certain levels of, of autonomy, certain levels of intelligence, certain levels of whatever. What ha- do you see where it leads? What happens when it's, if you're not this height or this weight or don't have this IQ or this much money or didn't come from this family or were born in this place, you're not a person. If you can start drawing that line wherever you want to on your philosophical values that of course are yours and they're subjective and they're your own, how do you think we've had every genocide that's ever happened? Including this one, killing babies. We start drawing the line in personhood theory, which the Supreme Court did in 1973. And if you want to read that, that case, you can read it right there. The, the baby inside the womb is not a person. If they were a person, they would be entitled to the rights of the 14th Amendment. They couldn't be deprived of life without due process of law. But they're not a person. Well, why aren't they a person? Because we said so. you got to understand what that leads to. It leads to a culture of death. It leads to a culture of death. These dualisms are real, and they are a wicked evil. They are a wicked evil. Do not believe them. Do not believe them. They are lies that lead to death. I'm telling you. Fact, value, dualism, if we believe it, will cause us to treat our faith like it's something less than real truth. Like it's something we do to make ourselves feel better. That somehow Jesus died on a cross so that we could feel a little bit better on a Sunday morning. Instead of that he died on the cross and rose again as the central event. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection being the central event that this universe turns on. That it's real, that's more real than anything. Instead of believing that, if we buy into fact-value dichotomy, it's just going to be our personal little thing, which means it has no power. It's not really real. Secular, sacred dualism, if we believe it, will make us fear bringing real truth into the public square. It means we won't be able to love people because we'll be keeping truth from them because we've bought into the idea that truth that has something to do with God or morality or whatever shouldn't be out there. Mind-body dualism, if we believe it, will help us justify the killing of the most vulnerable people on this planet. It always has, and as long as we believe it, it always will. People were created in the image and likeness of God. People are more than bodies, but they are integrated body, soul, spirit, human beings. Understand that. That's who you are. You are not just a body. You are not just a mind. You are not just a soul. You're all of those things. Body, soul, spirit. So many of us bought these lies, and God's pushing back on us like he was pushing back on the Thessalonians. He's saying, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are, these are things that exist in your mind. These dualisms, secular, sacred, dualism, right? Fact, value, dualism, mind, body, dualism. These are philosophies that exist in your mind that shape and frame. It's like a pair of glasses that you put on that frame how you see the world. you got to take those glasses off and... Rub them off or break them and get some new ones if you want to transform your mind. Listen, don't be confused about morality. Don't be apathetic. Be confident and fight for what's right. But do so with compassion and love, thinking of others as better than yourself, having grace for others. Jesus loves every mother and father, and I know we talked about abortion a lot today. Every mother and father that have ever made the decision to have an abortion Jesus loves them. 
Just like with these Thessalonians, he wants every one of them to be saved. Every one of us that's, that's been in that situation, every one of us that's engaged in sexual immorality, every one of us that's lied or cheated or defrauded our neighbor in any way, all of us need the same thing. We need the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is here for you today to forgive you, to save you. He was there for me in the middle of my wickedness and pain and shame. He was there. And he made me new and alive in him. All the lies that I have believed have come tumbling down. And God is perfecting my faith as he will yours. Perfecting me as he will you. Till one day we are transformed, fully perfected, glorified in him. Perfected body, perfected soul, perfected spirit. Human beings who get to be with him forever. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. Don't suffer in shame anymore. If there's stuff you heard today that just is, is bringing you shame, don't suffer in shame. That is not what God wants. That's not what the, the cross was about, getting rid of that shame. Don't take that power away from the cross. Instead, give it to Jesus. Leave it at the cross. God loves you. We love you. Believe on him and give your life to him today if you have not done that. Experience the joy and forgiveness and grace and peace that come with God. Listen, finish up here. Broken ideas lead to sin and broken people, okay? Broken ideas lead to sin and broken people. But God is a savior and redeemer of the broken. He will save and redeem you if you'll fall on him. And that's what we want to leave you with today, to know that no matter what has happened in your past, no matter what, God loves you and wants to set you free. And if we can help you in any way to make that life-changing decision for Christ, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get easy directions anytime at axechurchnw.org. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we'll look for you next time here on Contemplate.